This morning, I'm going to continue on the series that Pastor preached last week on if he builds it. In this series, he's talking about the, the aspects of when Christ said, I'm going to build my church. The things that, that we have uh, from Scripture realized and learned that this is what he wanted as characteristics of his church. We, we see in John 2, when he said to them, I will build my church. Such a cool story. I love when they, where they're trying to tell him how church is supposed to be. And they're trying to tell him, you know, it's supposed to be so-so. And he said, you could tear this down, this temple down. And within three days, I will build my church. So he, he, with authority, he told them, I will build my church. Matthew 16, he told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. So we're going to talk about the different things that that means. The different, the different, uh, characteristics of what he meant by I'm going to build my church and the things that, that make up his church. Last week, I think pastor talked about the, the, the church that he built is supernatural. And he touched on the different aspects and what it means to have a supernatural church. But this week we're going to talk on the church is a relational church. The church that he builds is a relational church. I've been here, we're going on three years and there's something that that from the moment we got here, that Pastor Rick and Pastor J.W. and the ones around us and have always said, doing life together. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about, doing life together. You see uh, people post on there, you know, going out to eat with so-and-so from church, doing life together. Uh, I think Steve put it on there a couple, a couple nights ago. Went out to eat with Brandon and Brittany, celebrating the summer. Went to Olive Garden, got some desert, as Toddy pointed it out. Misspelled dessert. Got some desert at Sonic afterwards. But we do life together. And there, there's a, that's a phrase that we use when we say that we're hanging with each other. But there's more to it than that. Some of us even here go vacation together. Some of our best friends come from church. Some of our closest friends come from the relationships that we build in church. We say this thing because that's what we believe, and we believe that that's God has called us to do, what he has called us to do as a church. If we are alone, and this is one thing we have to look at when people that have to live alone, the lone rangers, when we will never be what God wants us to be and go the places God wants us to be or wants us to go if we try to do it alone. Jesus couldn't even have built his church by himself. In the, in the beginning part of the gospel, it shows Jesus walking around and, and going to different people and asking them to follow him. Not because he needed a crowd, not because he, he had to have that someone looking up to him and someone wanting to be with him at all times, but because he needed people to help him do his ministry. He needed to empower others and other people to learn underneath him because he knew that it was coming a time that he wasn't going to be here and that he needed to have somebody that he could entrust to do with his ministry. He needed a relationship. He needed to form the relationship that he has with the 12 disciples. People say, that say they love God but hate church really truly miss what church is about. They truly miss the relationship and what God has called us to be as a church. We're going to read Matthew 14 today. And, and, and the summary of this story is where Jesus calls out to Peter 
to walk on the water. Now, normally, in, in times growing up and times I've heard this scripture and the, this story used is mainly about faith and about the faith that Peter had, and that's all true. But when studying this series, we're going to use it as an example of a relationship. Verse 22 says this. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Then I want you to see here is the other side. I want you to pretend today that the other side is your destiny. Now, I might be, I'm giving you a little bit more to do than just listen. I need you to pretend with me this morning. Pretend that the other side is your destiny. We all have somewhere in our life, some place that God has called us to be. Some place God wants us to go. Some area of our life that maybe has not been fulfilled yet, that God is going to call us to, he created us for our destiny. The destiny, our destiny is supposed to go into the reach. There's something waiting for us on the other side. 23 through 33 says this. I'm going to read it here so I don't turn my back to you guys. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were troubled far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen. And they were fighting heavy waves. About three in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But God spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. I'm going to go ahead and bring up a key thought this morning, that the lives that we have crossed, that has crossed our path, have altered the course of our lives. And that when we can see that in the example there, this is the beauty of the church, is that, that we have people, mentors, family members, in our lives at church that have altered, we can all think of somebody. If you grew up in church, you all can think of somebody, maybe not even just, it could be someone related to you or not. But someone that has altered your spiritual life, a mentor that has that has poured into your life that told you and, and has, has seen things in you that you might not have seen in yourself. That is the be- one of the beauties of having a relational church. The church is a seedbed for real relationships. Now, I mentioned before that some of us are best friends and some of us <clears throat> even vacation together and that's formed from the strong relationship we have. Now, this was always looked down maybe it was just the kind of people that I was around growing up in church as maybe a bad thing. To me, I see it as a good thing, maybe because I'm just trying to justify something that happened to me. But you hear lots of times when a young person would come to church, you'd hear some of the older people say, oh, they're just looking for a man. Or, oh, they're just looking for them a woman, you know. 
And that lots of times was true, right? And in my opinion, what better place to look for your spouse in the house of God? Amen? How, uh, what better place to look now? I'm not saying that's the only reason you should come to church. And I was going to pick on Terry this morning. But I think he's upstairs. But anybody interested, Terry is single <laughs> and is looking. But when I was a young kid, I don't remember how old. I don't remember meeting my wife for the first time because we was kids at church. And then we went to a different church for a little while. And then I met my wife again in eighth grade English class. We became friends. But we didn't form a true relationship until I went back to church. Went back to the church that she attended. Now, all you all that's ready for a great Britney story about me embarrassing her, it's not going to happen this morning. But I went to that church, and I remember walking in. Gonna be really mushy for a minute. I'm gonna give you. A, I remember walking into that sanctuary and sitting down with my parents. It was a youth night, and I remember a drama being done. And I remember the star drama person. I can't tell you anybody else that was on that stage, but I remember the one person that was in the middle doing that drama. And instantly. I decided I wanted to form a relationship. Instantly, I decided I wanted to get to know that girl a little bit more. Some of y'all have a worried look. Yes, it was Brittany. I, I mean, I can remember every little detail about that day to the way she was dressed, to the way the song, how many remembers Now Behold the Lamb, that wonderful drama that everybody did. I can remember everything about it. But our relationship went from friendship relationship to being married in that same church. We formed a bond and a relationship that was done because we was able to do life together. We started hanging with a youth group and then later on in the young adults that we was able to form a relationship, a strong relationship. I found, I was able to find my soulmate in church and how awesome is that to be able to say because we was able to feed off of one another. We was able to learn with one another. And that's what the strength of the relationship in church should be. We're going to talk about five qualities that a relational church should possess. Now, I promise you, all five are not super long, so don't, don't freak out a little bit here. We got a relationship supposed to be, number one, it's supposed to inspire you. How many of you have had somebody that was able to look into your eyes has been able to say something to you, been able to speak life into you and be able to bring forth something that you didn't even know was even there. If someone was able to say, I see a work of God, I see this, I'm able to, you know, there's things that we put blinders on, we we able to discourage ourselves to where we can't see the goodness that God's placed inside of us. But that's why God placed certain people in our lives. That's why God places us in a church to where we can be inspired, where others can see those things that God has placed inside of us, where others can take and, and, and pour into our lives to inspire us to for greatness. Inspiration only comes through true relationships. We need someone that will help us look past our limitations and be able to inspire us to become more. And that's exactly when the scripture that I was reading, that's exactly what Jesus did. In Peter's mind, 
He's seen a boat and he's seen water. And in our human mind, what do we know? If we step out into that boat, what's going to happen? We're going to sink. We're going to go inside of the water. But Jesus said, come to me. He helped him see past that limitations. He inspired him to see past the obstacle of where he considered to be the impossible. Jesus inspired Peter to take that leap of faith, to step out and to be able to walk on the water. He said, Peter, come to me. And he was able to, Peter was inspired to step out of his limitations. That's the very thing that we need. We, we, we have small groups here. And I feel like I would be crucified if I didn't mention small groups during this, during this sermon of building relationships. Because our pastor is so passionate about small groups. Our church is so passionate about small groups. And the reason why is because we've seen it. We've seen the, the, the effects that it has made upon our congregation and the people of our church. You know, we mentioned lots of times about growing up in church and, and there's different ways and we've all come from different backgrounds. But one thing I think we can all relate to is lots of times is that wall that we put up. This is really just a place that we come and worship and we just come and we, we sing the song. As Rebecca was saying, the routine that we get ourselves into but we have to have someone there to inspire us. We must be able to inspire our young people. We must be, you know, that's, that's a part of our, as the older generation. You know, there's people that is younger than me and there's people that's older than me. People that should inspire me, they'll be able to inspire them. We should be able to tell our teens and our, our young adults and our children that they can make a difference in their schools. The Bible tells us that our mandate is to go out to all the world and preach the gospel. We need to be able to inspire our young people and inspire our congregation to know they can do that. They can make disciples. They can witness to people. They can do the things that makes a difference in people's lives. I need people to inspire me. Pastor J.W. needs people to inspire him. There's things that leadership goes through. There's things that, that as ministers that we go through that we need people that we can rely on and say, hey, I need prayer. And I need you and, and to speak a kind word into me and to speak encouragement into my life. It's impossible. It is not impossible. You just need to be inspired. Just like I mentioned a while ago about Jesus Inspiring Peter. There's so many other examples in the Bible. We see God inspire Moses to accept his call. And God using him to deliver the children out of Egypt. We see God inspiring David that was just a shepherd boy. That just would look ordinary to be a great warrior. To go on to be the king of Israel. He told Abraham that he would be a father of many. He saw things in people and inspired them. And that's the example that we should follow. And in the story he was talking about, that's what he did to Peter. He saw an ordinary man. He used the ordinary to do something extraordinary. He used the ordinary people to walk on water like Peter did. 1 Corinthians 1 and 27 says this. Says, Instead, God chooses things the world consider foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. 
we see that God's idea and plan don't always match what the world's idea is. Things that we would consider to be uh, not really normal or consider to be not the right way or the right solution, God sees ordinary people and empowers them, inspires them to do great things. And that is our job as a church, is to inspire these people and inspire our congregation, inspire ourselves to do these great things. Awesome thing is that we read here, we see that Peter didn't walk on water because he was special. He walked on water because God called him to do that and inspired him to do that. He had faith to be inspired to walk out on the water. So this morning, I don't know what dream is locked up inside you, what word or calling that God's placed upon your life, what situation or where you think your destiny may take you, whatever. How many knows that your destiny is a scary thing? It's scary to think about not having control of what your life is going to to entail. It's a scary thing to know that you have no control over certain things. This morning, let me encourage you to be inspired. Let me, let me inspire you to tell, me, tell you that whatever those situations, whatever that dream is, whatever that calling is, don't stay in the boat. Peter could have just, just could have stayed there and we would never have this story. We would have never had this example. His faith would have never been proven if he would have just would have been afraid and would have listened to the discouragement and would have listened and looked at his limitations. He listened and had the faith to be inspired. Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25 says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. That scripture is so relevant for today. We cannot neglect coming together as a body of Christ. We cannot neglect the coming together of his church and inspiring one another and motivating one another to do the work of God because it is coming close. And it says it right there. Now that the closeness and the time is coming so near of his return. We have to motivate one another. We have to inspire one another to do the things that God has called us to do. The next thing a relational church is supposed to do is supposed to rescue. We should be a place to be able to help rescue others in time of need. We should be able, not just this building, but like the churches within us, we should be there for people to be able to help rescue them. And when you see in chapter 14 of Matthew here, 30 and 31, it said that when he's begun to sink, what did he do? He reached out his hand and immediately Jesus pulled him out. Peter reached out his hand to somebody, not nobody. Somebody was there. Jesus was there to be able to rescue him. If we try to do life alone and we are reaching out, who's there? If you examine your own life today and you, and you find out the situation that you think to yourself, if I was in trouble and I needed rescue, if I was drowning, who would be there when I reached out my hand? Who would be there when, when I needed it the most? Now, I know there's situations, you know, we have parents and we have this and, and family's great. I'm a big family man. I'm a big family man of my big family. 
But there's times that we need spiritual guidance and spiritual help. There's times we need a congregation, a body of Christ to rescue us, to feel a part. There's people that try to do life alone and they will not get connected to the church. They won't join a small group. They don't do life together. But like I said, there's going to be time that we need that connection. We do these things not to to say we have these cool groups. Not to say, hey, if you come to our church, you can exercise. Or if you come to our church, you can shoot things. Or if you come to our church, you can make food or whatever else we do. We don't do that just to have these cool little titles and these cool labels. We do these things because we know that you need to form a relationship and connection with people because there's going to come a time that you're going to need us. There's going to come a time I'm going to need you all. There's going to come a time that we're going to be able to have to lean on each other in celebration and in, in the good times and bad times. There's going to be a time that one of us is going to need to be able to lift up our hands and, and be rescued. And we need someone there. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says, Two people are better often than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But one that can stand back to back, or two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I love this scripture because it's, it just, it's so just out there. It just tells you exactly two is better than one. It's very common sense. You know, that, and it even, it even goes on to say, and even if you get three, if you can get four, if you can get a body of Christ, and you can become a part and not be alone, two is better than one. If we look at that scripture, we see three things. First part in verse 10, we see, uh, it says, if one falls. And then later on it says, keep each other warm. And then the other one says, being attacked. So we see falls, colds, and attacks which also could be the falls is an emergency. How many of you remember there's a stupid commercial? I've fallen down and I can't get up. Right? We find ourselves needing a hand sometimes when we have fallen down to help us through. A couple of days ago, Brittany shared a story with me that my father-in-law and my nephew was outside playing basketball. And they had this neighbor that's across the street and they have signs in their yard saying, don't touch my grass. Don't like they have like this sign in their door saying you are being recorded. Like if you barely touch their grass, they're calling the police and trying to report you. They're just those kind of neighbors. So they're outside and they're playing basketball. Sebastian goes to throw to my father-in-law. And when he does, the ball passes right through him over to the neighbor's yard. So instantly my father-in-law tries to do this, block thing to keep it from going into the crazy neighbor's yard so we don't have the cops and everything there. He steps on the basketball. It flies up from under. He falls down. Instantly, my nephew, instead of helping him, checking on him, 
starts busting out laughing, running into the house, opens the door, can't hardly breathe because he's laughing so hard talking to my mother-in-law. And she said, why didn't you help him? He said, all I can think about is that stupid commercial. I've fallen down and I can't get up. He said, Papa's out there rolling around on the ground, moaning and groaning, trying to get up off the ground. He wasn't in that example. Joe had nobody to help him up that day. There was no act, There was no hand to lift him up. I guess the relationship between him and Sebastian wasn't that great because there was not someone there to be able to lift him up. When you have fallen in life, who does your life alert call? Now, I know some of us might really have life alert, and I'm not making fun, Jerry, I promise. <laughs> but... On a, on a serious note, we, who do we call when we're in trouble? The next element we saw in verse 11 was the cold. So we see our elements. Helping others in areas you don't know how to work in. When you're out of your element. There's people in this church, and since I've already picked them, I'll, I'll brag on Jerry. There was a time that came, and probably would be the last time he helped, he helped me, but that we moved into our house and the lights over our bar was messed up. The electric was messed up on it. I had no idea how to fix them. I know nothing about electricity. I knew that was Jerry's element. I was able to pull from the relationship that we have formed in this church for someone to help me in an area that was out of my element. A few months ago, Brittany's car completely went crazy and wouldn't go out of gear. It was a computer issue. Cars is also something out of my element. If it's not changing oil or simple stuff, I don't know how to do it. I called TJ because I knew that he worked on cars and he, that was his, in his element. Now, I'm not saying this is the place that you could just use people for free labor. <laughs> but we are able to lean on each other and help each other out in, in areas that I'm strong in. Others may be weak. And, and, and times that, that, that you all are weak in, I might be strong in and be able to help one another and pull from one another in the elements that we're comfortable with. And the last time, or the last verse in verse 12, it says, uh, it talks about the attack. The attacks, just, just exactly what it says. My brother used to have this saying when we was growing up, if somebody was smarting off at a ball game or Someone was looking at us the wrong way, you know, we being tough, cool, high school kids. I'd say, Bob, he's awful big. And he'd say, you know, they better shut their mouth or whatever. He said, we can't whip two of us. He'd always say that. And he probably, they probably could. But, but the point of that is, is that two can help. It's harder for the enemy to attack more than one person. When you're back to back and you can see the attack coming from one way, and the other person can see the attack and we can lean on one another as a body of Christ, it is hard for the enemy to attack a unified body of Christ. It is hard for the enemy to attack someone that has got the relationship and the support of other people. A relational church, thirdly, is supposed to sharpen one another. We've heard the scripture, the scripture that iron sharpens iron. We have heard time and time again about how we are able to be able to sharpen one another. And what does that mean? That don't always mean a good thing. That don't always mean it's going to feel good. 
There's times that Pastor J.W. comes up here and preaches, and he preaches on something that I might have, that I might struggle with. There's times that Pastor Aaron might teach on something or preach on something that I might struggle with, and I have to sit there and be sharpened. I have to be there as, as God starts to show me the flaws inside of me through the other people of the church, through his word that's being taught by other people, through his word that's being preached or saying uh, from other people, he sharpens me. There's times that we have blind spots that we don't realize that we're doing something that maybe not be lining up to the word of God. Or there might be times that we're doing things or there's things that goes on or we're struggling with that doesn't line up with his word. And it's not always fun to hear and it's not always easy to hear. But we have to be finding ourselves in a situation that we are hearing his word. Because if we don't become sharpened, if we don't, if he doesn't be able to mold us and make us into more like him, and that's how he makes us to be more like him is by learning and being sharpened from other people. I mentioned the blind spots. That's what we read when, when Peter began to sink. It was his blind spot that he didn't see and keep the faith. Other things he, he focused, he, 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 he got Jesus in his blind spot and began to focus upon the wrong things. And what did Jesus do? He sharpened him. He called him out. He said, all ye of little faith, why did you doubt me? Now, I I don't know about you all, but I remember being, you know, as a kid, that kind of stuff would hurt me more than getting spanked. I remember very, maybe twice my whole life in church, getting called down by the preacher. Only twice. And one of those was my grandfather, just flat out by name, Brandon, enough, sit down. Didn't feel good, embarrassing. Did it need to be done? Absolutely. But his words sharpened me. Later, my mom's hand sharpened me. I was corrected. I was shown of my ways, of my blind spot. I was shown that there was something I should have done instead of that. Just as Peter was shown, if you would have kept the faith, if you didn't doubt me, this wouldn't be happening to you. Ephesians 4 and 15 says this. Instead, we speak the truth in love, grown in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body in the church. And that simply just says what I mentioned earlier, that through our sharpening of one another, through being able to hear the truth of his word, hearing the truth of what he has for our lives from other people that we have formed relationships with, we can become more like Christ, which is our ultimate goal. Fourthly, the relational church should, is supposed to be, or is supposed to restore. When I first got approached about coming to on staff here, after Pastor Rick left. Me and Brittany and JW met, and he, he said, now I want you to know that mine and Pastor Rick's vision is very similar. And I want you to know that we are pretty much got the same mindset. One thing you need to know about this church 
that I'm not really sure that you're aware of is that this is a healing place. He said, my passion is for people that has been hurt by other churches. My passion is from people that has been hurt by religion, Christianity, and by other relationships to be able to find restoration here. To be able to find restoration in, in the truth of God. To be able to restore the relationship with not only with God, but within people. To be able to trust people again. To be able to, to feel that relationship that may, they've never been able to feel before. To feel that love of a body of Christ that they have never felt. He said, that is my passion. That is my vision for this church. And that's exactly, when I think of Gateway, what I think of. And that's exactly what God intended for his church to be. It's a place that restores. A place of restoration. People have been hurt. If you're around church any time at all, you will hear over and over of these stories of ways that church has hurt people. That how people have been completely traumatized and will not... I, I mean, I know people and I, I never understood, but, but they will completely turn their back on God because of what a church did to them. They stopped serving God because of a, of a hurt feeling that they got from a church. God has called us to be a place of restoration. We see that example in Christ at the woman at the well. When she tried to give all her examples of why she was unworthy to do the things that she was doing. And he told her, you can now take part of the living water. Told her that she was good enough and that her past was forgiven and no longer to be remembered. For her to tell people what God had done. We see that example in the prodigal son when the other son couldn't understand why he was being restored to his position and to his title that he had. And he said, because he is my son, I will restore him. It's not what we have done, but what Christ has done. And that's what we've got to remember as a church. It's not about the things that we have done in our past. It's not about the hurt that other people have called in the past. It's about what God has done for us. That we can be restored and have a relationship. And then lastly, and if Rebecca wants to come to the music, a relational church is supposed to, to celebrate. I mentioned a while ago that we celebrate or we, we were with each other in the bad times and then the good times. We see in the, in the scripture and the core story that we was reading in Matthew, we see that when they got back, said they said, wow, look what happened. Wow, you are the son of God. They begin to celebrate who Jesus was. They didn't only celebrate because of who Jesus was, but they had just seen him witness and, and just saw him feed the 5,000. They already knew who Jesus was. But they got to celebrate again because of not who he was, but what he did and what he did in Peter's life. Because they celebrated not only Jesus walking on the water, they celebrated Peter. They celebrated the fact that he was able to be inspired by Christ and do the things he was called to do. And that's exactly what we should do. We should see what God has done in each and every one of our lives. 
Not only should we celebrate the things that God's done within us, but when we become a family and a body of Christ like we have here, when we see God start moving in people's lives, when we see miracles take place, when we see people's finances start being blessed, we start seeing people be healed again. We start seeing people's family being saved and people being delivered. We should celebrate the good works that God has done for each and every one of us. How many can say God's done something great in their life? We all have something we can celebrate. We all have something that we can say that God has done for us. And then we can look around and see our families. And we can see the ones that that God has touched. I hope this this sermon spoke to you in some ways. I hope it made sense and I hope it makes you realize even if you're a part of this church or a church, even if you have relationships, there's always close, more, more uh, levels to go. There's always another level of closeness we can get to our church family and to God. Don't ever take for granted the relationships that God has placed in your life because that's exactly what it is. God's placed them in your life for a reason. If you have a friend, if you have a group of people that you know that God has placed in your life, don't take it for granted. Don't forget the reason why God has placed those people into your life. Sometimes, Rebecca said, we can get in this motion of being used to seeing the same people and speaking to them in the mornings, saying the same things, and good morning, God bless you, have a good day. That we take for granted the relationship that God wanted us to have. We need each other. We live in a world that thinks they don't need relationships. Now, I'm a part of some of this generation that feels like that they don't need relationships. Social media has tried to substitute real relationships. Now, I like social media. I think it's a great tool. I'm able to actually, sometimes you can use it to strengthen relationships. I've talked to family that lives far away, keep in touch that way. But a friend used to mean someone that you had a true relationship with, someone you did life with. Now it could be a complete stranger that you have on your Facebook list. The average Facebook user has 328 friends on Facebook, but the average American has two close friends. And out of those Americans, 25% of those said they have zero true friends. What do you mean by a true friend? I mean somebody that will inspire you. Somebody that will rescue you. Somebody that can help restore you. Someone that will sharpen you. Somebody that will celebrate with you. That's what a true friend is. That's what a true relationship looks like. Whether it be a friendship, a family relationship, a husband and wife relationship, they all should be give and take. It all should be made up just like he intended for his church to be. And I know that this world is looking for that very thing. We see people that's addicted to taking selfies and 
they're addicted to, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with taking selfies. I'm just mean there's people that have to do it all the time and they check their phone 24-7. Did I get a like yet? Did someone retweet what I had to say? Has, has anybody looked and seen what I've done yet? And they, they have to have that feeling of acceptance. They feel like someone else likes them when they have these things. But God has created a church to fill that void. We must be connected. That's everybody to stand. ask you to close your eyes and I want you to examine your heart and your soul right now. I want you to think about a couple of things. I want you to first ask yourself, how is your relationship with Christ? Because everything that I've talked about, everything that we just discussed will be done and void. Nothing will be able to be applied if you don't know who Christ is. You don't have a relationship with Christ. He can't put people in your life if you're not serving Him. You might say, I'm not drowning. If you're living in sin, you're drowning. I want you to examine yourself and say, do I really truly have a relationship with Him? And if I do, is it a strong relationship? Am I reading his word, am I, am I seeking after him? Am I, am I spending time in prayer? Am I worshiping him? Am I doing the things he's called me to do? And next, I want you to think about your relationship with your family. Am I the father that I'm supposed to be? Am I the husband I'm supposed to be? Mother, sister, whatever role you play, are you living to your capabilities of what God created you to do? then lastly, how's your relationship with your church? If you don't have a church, I want to encourage you to find a church. We are more than welcome. We will love you. We will be there to celebrate, to restore, to inspire. We'll do all of those things here. I promise you I can test and testify of this church. Where do you stand today? If you don't know Christ is your personal Savior, I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't want to ask you to come down, but will you lift up your hand for me to see? No one's looking around. Just say, Pastor Brandon, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me that I can know Christ as you're talking about. I want to know this person that when I feel like I'm drowning, I can lift up my hand and he'll rescue me. I want to know this person. That can restore me. If that's you, will you raise your hand today? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord. I thank you for the hands that was lifted today, God. 
Lord, I ask that you restore them right now in the name of Jesus, God. That we don't see what everything that goes on, God. We may not know, God, what goes on in their lives, God, but you know everything. Lord, I ask that you create a peace within them, God. When they leave here today, God, let them feel changed. Let them know that they can come back or they're a part of a church, God, that will love them, that will build relationships with them, God. But they have to take that step to allow and to break down the walls of the enemy. Every lie and, 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 and trick of the enemy has placed upon their life, God, to tell them that they're not good enough. Any lie of the enemy to say that, that they're just going to get hurt again, God, let that be broken in the name of Jesus. God, we speak peace on their lives. Would I ask that you just be able to be with them, God. As they confess with their mouth that you are their Lord and ask them to forgive you of their sins, God, that today when they walk out of this place, they are changed. And God, for those, Lord, that maybe have struggling relationships, God, that know you, to find themselves being withdrawn from your people or being withdrawn from you, God, or being withdrawn from their family. God, I ask that you reveal the areas, God, in our lives that we need to work on. Reveal those areas to us, God, that we need you to come and change and mold us into the person that you created us to do. God, give us faith and boldness to be able to step out and get a part of that relationship to be a part of your church, God, that you said you were going to build your church and a part of your church is relationships, God. Help us to embrace every part of your church, God. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for church. We thank you for the lives that have touched and changed through this place, God, and through the body that is within it, God. We thank you for each and every person that witnesses, God, whether it be through their mouth or their actions, God. We thank you for them, God. I ask that you continue to let us grow, continue to strengthen us, continue to let us be able to form deeper and meaningful relationships, God, with one another and with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you are a first-time visitor, we have our...